0: amen amen we may be seated again welcome to mercy fellowship we are saved by jesus work we are changed by jesus grace and we are living on jesus mission and we believe that that mission is for us to make disciples of jesus christ who love God and who love people. And uh, you know, typically in the, the church in the last several years at large, you know, Mother's Day is like this great sermon about how all moms are saints and uh, how great Mary was and all that. And Father's Day is like, hey guys, You're all a big steaming pile of poo, so let's kind of step it up, right? Um, And uh, we're not doing that, so uh, we are just going to stick with our series here uh, in 2 Corinthians that we've called uh, Endure, and I'll just tell you, it is a joy to see all you guys here today. It's a joy to see your faces. It's a joy to not see uh, any black uh, duct tape on these old pews. And so uh, now you guys can all spread out everybody get their own pew, do whatever you want, keep distancing. That's great. But um, anyway, we are going to continue, or rather I should say, we're going to finish our series in Second Corinthians. That We started back in January, uh, and we're kind of like 20 sermons in on this thing. And so Paul's kind of wrapping some things up. And as we do that, I want you to turn your Bibles. I hope you have them with you. I brought mine this week. If you remember, two weeks ago, didn't have mine. Felt like I was, you know, pantsless on stage, which is definitely disqualifying. And so um, anyway, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 all the way to the end of 13, and we're going to break it up into three sections. And so as we turn there, we say our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The word disciple implies what? Discipline, right? That there's actually um, uh, 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 having some longevity, having some endurance, having some intentionality around the Christian life. And so if you have some vision, The Christian life is just that one-time moment where you were uh, emotionally stirred to to trust Jesus for the first time. And then after that, we're kind of in this long waiting period before heaven. I I got to fly this week, and so I got to spend time in the Denver airport with a mask on for two hours. That was fun. Um, You know, and we just kind of think that's what life is, just waiting to get on the plane to go home. Except God has a purpose for us now. He has a life for us now. And so the journey that we're on as Christians requires some endurance. And endurance is to remain or continue even in the midst of great difficulty on our way to a greater destination. And so we need to be realistic that that the journey of life, even following Jesus, is one that will be long. It is one that will include difficulty. And there's there's some things um, that Paul's going to kind of hit here that that address um, what hinders our endurance. One of those things is this. Difficult seasons of division and disunity hinder our endurance. Think about the last maybe 15, 16 months and every week just getting exhausted over the division in the world, and even at times the division in the church, right? All of a sudden you're trying to win a game or run a race, and it just feels like you thought you were playing a home game where everybody's cheering for you, and you're ready to go, and everyone's like, good job, keep going. All of a sudden you realize you're in an away game, and it's booze, and it's yelling, and it's wanting your defeat. That's what it feels like when you're in a a culture of disunity and division. And we're like, well, no, that's just out there. Well, no, no. I mean, we have to recognize that we contribute to that. Right? None of us are, are perfect. And so none of us are perfectly innocent. And we will hurt other people. We will be hurt by other people. And so there's times where we need to pursue humility. And there's other times where we're just going to end up being humbled by the circumstances around us. And so when we're broken, restoration actually requires repentance and reconciliation. But it's, it's necessary, as difficult that, as it is for endurance. The second thing that can hinder our endurance isn't just the culture out there, or even the, the church culture. It is your and my individual sin, our individual brokenness, our individual rebellion, our failure, our frailty, and yes, our sin. And so if you're trying to run a race, right, you're trying to do something, I mean, that's where my mind's at. A week from today, uh, I'll be competing in the lane Iron Ironman. How do you know somebody's going to be doing an Ironman? Don't worry, they'll tell you. They'll talk about it, right? And so um, uh, about a week from today, I should be about 60 miles in to the bike. And, and yet, if I, in this next week, just start crushing burritos and finish up the rest of the donuts out there, I'm going to be what? Hindered in the race. Like, it's, that's gonna hurt my endurance. And that's what sin does to us, it clings to us. It holds us back, it holds us down. And so, um, at times we can do things that are counterproductive to our endurance at worst, or evil or wicked at best, or backwards. Sorry, switch that around in your head. So if we're gonna endure, it means that we actually have to be courageous enough to take opportunities to repent, to turn from our sin, in order to enjoy uh, more endurance, to not have our joy reduced, and to not have our endurance hampered. And so Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthian church and he's super specific about the condition of their church And while he's gonna be really specific about things going on in in their church, that doesn't mean that that that's what's going on here. However, there are again our big concepts that apply to us. And so Paul, at the end of this letter, he's been going right for quite a while, he just gets really clear and really direct and convicting language because he wants to see repentance. He wants to see restoration. He wants to see unity and joy in the church. And so these principles he's gonna hit as we look at them, three key ideas from this conclusion to help us endure. Number one, what hinders our endurance? Number two, how the gospel answers it, and then number three, what is our posture and disposition going to be that's going to foster our endurance and, and give us finally encouragement. And so while we are weak people, we can have courage to endure with the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses uh, 12, 19 through 13, 4. We'll stop and talk about it. This is him talking to the church. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Hold on to those two words. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you might find me not as you wish, That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. That sounds bad. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the third time... I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness and lives by the power of God. For we are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live by him, by the power of God. So if you're just catching up with us, Paul's gone to Corinth. He's planted this church in great difficulty The church grows, it flourishes, he leaves, Um, leaders come in, division is sown, people are all um, going after different leaders, they all got their favorite podcasters, their favorite Instagram influencer pastors, they got their own favorite people in the church, division's there, there's sexual immorality, there's greed, people are cutting a line to communion, nobody cuts the line in communion here because we're still using those little lunchable wafers things that are just kind of not great. That's, that's the last, you'll know COVID's done, done when those are gone. Okay. Um, And so here uh, is Paul and and he came back and he did another visit because he heard things weren't going well in the church. And it was a tough visit. I mean, like, like nasty visit because like what was happening in the church was so, so difficult. And they're like, Paul, we don't even know if we, we like you anymore. And so as he gets ready for a third visit, he's desired their reconciliation. He also desires their repentance. And so he's been laying out this gospel framework throughout the letter of who Jesus is, what he's done for you, how we're made new, how that applies to us as the church, as the people of God, how it applies to you individually as a son or daughter of the king. And so while he's using really clear language, hey, I'm not sparing anybody when I show up. Later we're gonna see, examine yourselves. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about nasty church culture. He just goes really clear, really direct. If we miss part of this text, we'll hear this stuff with a really heavy burden and crushing weight. Because where there's direct language and clear uh, language, if the relationship isn't clearly defined, then it can be more hurtful than helpful. And so two points to address before confronting these issues. First is the nature of leadership. I told you to hold on to verse 19 at the end. He says that he is there for what? Upbuilding. Good godly leadership exists not to puff itself up, but to serve others and to help build up the church. So he says, hey, everything I'm about to say to you, everything that's direct, everything that you're like, ooh, I don't know if I like this tone, like everything Paul is doing, is because his desire is to see the church built up. And the second part of this is that they need to remember and we need to remember who we are in Christ. What does Paul call them? Beloved. Beloved? The Corinthian church? I mean, like, I wouldn't check my kids into the kids' ministry there, right? It's, It's a mess. It's a disaster. And Paul's like, no, no, don't forget. I'm here to build you up because you're beloved. I know you're beloved because Christ died for you. I know you're beloved because God's been pursuing his people regardless of their wickedness since the beginning of time when sin entered the world after God made it all good, right? And so as he says beloved, this isn't some like Corinthian version of well with all due respect or bless her heart, right? You know what you say right before you're about to say the worst thing imaginable to somebody? No, no, it's it's really like this is who you it's a reaffirmation of primary identity the word beloved there means dear friends so yeah we're, we're family in Christ but he's also like and I just have affection for you he ends with greet one another with a holy kiss there's no phase of COVID restrictions I'm not doing that okay don't come at me like that right And so Paul and the Corinthians have endured this contentious relationship um, and he's got some concern going to the next visit. And so um, the the first part I want to share with you is that endurance is encouraged by a healthy church culture. Endurance is hindered when there's division and disunity. And so a healthy church culture, we talk about this a lot here at Mercy Fellowship, but it requires intentionality because our default mode and setting is not love God and love people right our default is love me and have maybe mild disdain for everyone else right and certainly not always honor god but you know hey how can god help me and so loving god and loving people we say is a mark of discipleship and where there's sin which is everywhere it causes conflict first and foremost sin we know causes conflict between us and god god's perfect and holy we are not but it also causes conflict with one another even at times conflict within ourselves as we experience shame. And so he gives this list of what he's concerned with specifically quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder and those first two quarreling and jealousy if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3 he addresses that y'all are disunified Y'all you have your champions of, on Twitter that you love and like, but, but you're not just focused on Jesus. Although some of you, he says, are self righteously like, well, I'm just on Jesus' team. And when there's jealousy and when there's quarreling, it leads to the other things, right? Anger. So you start with quarreling and jealousy, and it leads to, to anger. And you can, you can be righteously anger, but sometimes you can and do sin in your anger when there's deep division. And then that leads to greater hostility, right? And then you begin to have opponents and teams. And so you start to slander others publicly and gossip about others privately. And the outworking of that, he says, is great disorder, right? That last word there is is disorder. And so um, why this hinders our endurance is because it just sucks the joy out of the room and it hinders the mission of the gospel. Why does it hinder the mission of the gospel? Well, it's because um, if you are like saying, hey, the world is broken, the world is sinful, our God is a God who reconciles, he makes us family and then then people come into the church and they're like, yeah, the church is like family, like my family, like my dysfunctional family, like my emotionally abusive family, and all you're like, this is no different. Why would I wanna be a part of this? If Sunday morning sounds a lot like cable news all week long, who wants a part of that? Who wants to be in that? It hinders the message of the gospel because you're so focused on winning or in conflict with the people that are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ, that you don't even have a harder thought for maybe who's out there in the community that just needs to hear about Jesus. And then lastly, when it comes to that last word, disorder, that's actually referring to 1 Corinthians 11, where he was talking about everybody cutting in line to communion. For them, communion was this big meal. It was uh, modeled after, in some regards, um, these meals that were happening in a lot of Roman cities where you would like toast to the emperor. And for us in Christ as Christians, you know, Jesus is like, "No, no, no, I can turn that right around. Every time you gather, Take this cup, take this bread, and remember me. And remember that I am the king of kings. I am the prince of peace. I am the Lord of lords. Your allegiance is ultimately to me. And so these feasts are happening, and all of the, the, the rich people come in first, and they get right in line at the, at the like, communion buffet, and there's legit people getting drunk off the communion wine. And those are coming in a little later. It's not just you don't get donuts because all the kids ran through it, right? Well, actually, it's exactly like that. They're like, oh, hey, enjoy the bread of life. This is the body of Christ. Well, I mean, here's a few crumbs left. That's how much mercy and grace you get. So it caused a division and disorder. So if you actually, despite all the conflict happening in the church, showed up to one of their services, there's people speaking in tongues in weird ways. Nobody even knows what's being said, Paul says. He's like, hey, better to say a few words that are clear That a thousand words that nobody knows what you're talking about. And so he's like, hey, your your church is so messed up that when people show up, they're like, I mean, I I heard they were kind of like a little dysfunctional and I showed up. They're just straight weird. Again, it hinders the gospel. It hinders endurance. And so because this is his third time visiting, he's already written two other letters. These have been ongoing concerns and cancer in the community for, if you look at a biblical timeline, maybe three to five years This stuff has been going on in the Corinthian church. And they've endured conflict. They've endured disorder. They're still going. I mean, praise God for that. This is a church that's enduring despite a lot of things going wrong with it. But maybe there's people who, after a long time, stop pursuing health. And they think that this is all there is. This is as good as it gets. And they get comfortable with conflict. So here at Mercy Fellowship, we just believe that that relational and emotional health is so essential for the life of the church, for its ongoing endurance, and for the flourishing of the people in it. So while church culture matters, we can like, yeah, yeah, we need to fix that church culture. Well, there's individual issues too that hinder our endurance. And so endurance is encouraged by repentance of sin. See, the second thing that hinders our endurance is our individual sin. It weighs us down, like we said, pulls us away from the path God has for us. It keeps us from engaging with God and with his people. Um, I I believe Paul's the writer of Hebrews in in chapter 12, uh, verse one, he says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. So he uses this metaphor that we are on this race and that repentance of sin is how we actually experience joy and how we begin to exhale and keep going more unhindered than hindered. Because the sin is just there like like running in chains or sometimes I've seen guys out there running with like 20 pound weight vests on. And I was like, I'm never gonna put one of those on because I carry one around with me every day on my body. And so, right, but, but like when you, when you start to, to lose a little bit of weight, man, every step gets better. Yeah, you're gonna hear running analogies probably for the rest of the sermon, okay? That's where I'm at, okay? You don't like running, you gotta think about something else, okay. What I love is how direct Paul is. He is concerned with repentance in one area in particular. Yeah, there's gossip, yeah, there's slander, all that. That's the church culture stuff. By the way, though, some of you individually, he cares about sexual immorality. And, and I just wanna tell you, it wasn't like this was some Puritan time or Elizabethan England, Victorian England, England time where, where people were very like sexually repressed. No, 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 no. This is a time that where things were incredibly unpopular to talk about sexual immorality, right? We, we don't wanna talk about that as a culture at all. We're just sprinting towards whatever we can find because our souls are so dry and disconnected that we're searching for intimacy and identity in wells that will not satisfy. And so, the Corinthian church, uh, the, the town of Corinth, and the church itself is extremely sexually confused. They're they a sex-worshiping culture. They've got temple prostitution, all sorts of infidelity. And so some people are maybe reading this letter from Paul, and they're like, whoa, whoa, Paul, 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 why are you getting involved in the culture wars? Man, the church isn't supposed to be involved in the culture wars. Just just preach Jesus. Just preach the gospel. And we're like, wait, hold the phone. God created the entire world, puts a man and woman in the middle of a garden that's already cultivated and beautiful, says, see this garden? Go make that. Go subdue the rest of the earth and make a garden out of this entire planet. That's what Christians call the cultural mandate. We have been created as a people to create culture that is for flourishing, that is life-giving, that is secure, that is safe, and is enjoyable. And so we are a culture-creating people. And when you are in Christ, and you've been made a new creation, Paul said, hey, Corinthian church, quit freaking out about Pride Month out there, and let's focus on all the pride that's going on in here. And he says the parade's going on in the church. And the problem with it is that there are the guy who's been shacking up with his stepmom. There, there are people who are still frequenting the temples. And he says, Some of you in 1 Corinthians, he's like, I can't even say what you're doing. But he says, The Corinthians, the non Christian Corinthians, pagan cult temple worshiping people, they look at you and say, Whoo! They cringe, they blush. They're like, I-, I want filters on their account. Before we worried about the parade out there, he says, you need to repent in here. And so the motto of the Corinthian church seemed to have been um, based on some verses on 1 Corinthians. I have the right to do anything. We might say it this way. Love is love. Pursue your own happiness or your own truth. You define yourself, not the creator who made you. And so he's reminding them all. If you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's just beautiful. Because he said, Hey, you, all of you, you all were part of this. None of you were blameless. All of you did these things. He so says, Such were some of you. But that's not who you are anymore. He says, you were purchased with a price. You don't have to be enslaved to sexual sin. You don't have to be enslaved to sin at all anymore because he says, you've been made new. You've been washed clean. You've been paid for with a price for freedom. So he says, stop acting like you're a slave. Live out the fact that you've been made new in Christ. And so the fact that Paul has brought this issue up three or four or five years after writing 1 Corinthians tells you that like as a church, they're like, ah, whatever. It's way too, I don't want to have that difficult conversation with that guy. Just, just let him do his thing. And it just hinders endurance because then the culture in here, if you will, or among the people of God is not only no different than out in the world, but as, as Paul said, like worse than the world not leading to flourishing, not leading to life. Either they didn't want to cause conflict (laughs) too late. Conflict already existed, right? Or because they'd compromised and capitulated to the culture. And so he's kind of asking them, right, in this invitation, I want to be clear, invitation to repentance. Do you want to grow? Do you want to endure? Do you want to have joy in the journey? Saying don't be stuck in the past Don't be stuck in past sins. Don't be stuck in current sins, but actually enjoy freedom and growth while enduring. And so maybe that aspect of your life, God's granted you freedom, and that's awesome. Praise God for that. But I bet there's something else that might be hindering you. There might be some other sin that's clinging to you so closely that you can feel it as you go on your journey, and it's like a chain that you're just dragging along and you just feel oppressed and you're not enduring. I mean, yeah, maybe you're, oh, you're kind of white knuckling it, but man, it's just, sometimes you just want to sit down and quit. I don't know what it is for you, but godly grief over your sin is more than okay. We hit that in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, right? It leads to repentance, it leads to joy, it leads to restoration. It's okay to say, oh, I am being hindered right now. That's, that's actually a good place to, to be. And Paul says, hey, uh, but before I show up, do some work in your heart. Examine your life. Do some work on your soul. Remember what Christ has done for you. Yes, we'll get to that in a moment. But he's like, hey, why wait? He's like, I'll be there in a few weeks or a few years. I'm not exactly sure, right, how travel was over there. Pretty sure you didn't have to wear a mask on the camel. Okay, sorry, that plane ride. Whew. And so he's like, hey, I'm coming. But let your day of freedom be today. Start repenting of sin today. Let your grief turn into an opportunity to glorify the Lord as you cast off that sin. As you remember who you are. And remember that God's grace and mercy is so sufficient that no matter what or when you've sinned, He's there to cover it. I mean, we're not saying, hey, religiously, just get better. Try harder. No, no, no. You cannot Outsin the mercy and grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's how big what he did was. You can't outsin it. So don't run in shame. And God's grace is sufficient to transform us, right? We looked at that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says you are no longer who you were, you are a new creation. And so he's just, hey, be new. Don't make yourself new, just, just be what you already are. And he goes and he is really direct about this. I love this here, right, in in verse four, talking about Jesus, verse three rather, that Christ is speaking in me. He's not weak in dealing with you. He's powerful among you. See, Jesus is present in that church in power. He's present in this church in power. You cannot have a concept of Christ's power to overcome, power to help you endure without it driving you to the cross. So before he talks about Jesus' power, he talks about how Jesus displayed humility, how Jesus displayed weakness to deliver perfect power, right? We've talked about this before, but Jesus came in the most fragile way imaginable as a little baby. Right? This is the first Father's Day for our worship leader, Garrett Hall, right? He got to hold his new baby. Fragile. Some of y'all are about to have some babies, right? Fragile. That's not, nothing says strength and, and dominating like, like, like a baby, unless you're talking about money and sleep and time <laughs> and energy, right? I'll dominate you there. He came weak. He came with human frailties. He got tired. He got hungry. It was like, oh, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. I'm sure it was easy for him. He's Jesus. 40 days of 40 days. At times, he needed to retreat to pray to recharge. so said he needed to rest, and yet Jesus was without sin. And, and the thing that he endured most was that crown of thorns, right? That's, that's not a crown of victory. No, he experienced the weakest position of pain imaginable splayed out on a Roman cross. Nothing says defeat like naked on a Roman cross. And while... Well, he experienced that indignity, that isolation and that pain. Yeah, it it paid for our sins. Like let's let's never, I mean, every week we take communion because we wanna remember what Jesus did to pay for our sins. Jesus is our substitute. And, and, it was also a pathway to power. Because it says here, he was crucified in weakness, verse four, 13, but lives by what? The power of God. Right? The death was necessary for the resurrection to happen. And so as Paul's saying, hey, be new. He's saying Jesus has already suffered for you. He has gone through a path of power, resurrection, conquering death, promising forever life, death to life. And so I want to be clear, when we talk about repentance, when we talk about turning away from sin, whether it's sexual morality or anything else, God does not call you to transformation that he has not empowered you to embody in the Holy Spirit. God doesn't call you to change yourself more than he has empowered you to actually walk in new life. We repent and we walk empowered by the resurrection power of Christ. When Paul wrote to the Romans, Right? Like writing his letter to to DC or to New York or to LA, right? Big cultural political capital. He's writing to that church who you're going to feel powerless if you're the Christian church in Rome in the first century. They didn't have lobbyists, they didn't have like people they should be voting for. They had a Caesar who, in a few years, would start chucking their friends to the lions. And he says, to that church that just felt like they were probably defeated, if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the this is Romans 8:11, Romans 8:11. if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life in your where? Your mortal bodies, through his spirit that dwells in you. So he's saying, you have a power to repent. You have a power to walk in freedom that is not of your own. It is the Holy Spirit. and It's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. So that means it is a power that is both eternal, right? Jesus rose from the dead not to die again. He ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne, ruling and reigning right now. And, and that power, is not only eternal, but it's incorruptible. So that means that power is in you. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the heart of the Christian faith, like you have no good news of the gospel without the death of Jesus in your place and the resurrection of Jesus to give you endurance now and hope for the future. And so, our symbol's a cross because it's a, great, great, a place of great disgrace and defeat and scorn. But it's also a great comfort because it means that all of our defeat, all of our sin that hinders us, was nailed there and dealt with there. We have hope for a better tomorrow together, empowered by Christ's work. And so Paul's telling this church, right? Stop denying what's true. He's working here. He's near. The power of Christ is here, in and through the Holy Spirit. If your faith is in Christ, it means there's power. I want us to be a humble people. We need to be a humble people. But let's not be a defeated people. No, we can be humble because we're a victorious people. Because Christ's power is in us. He's carrying us. And you and I need, we need to respond as we live by the power of God. And so as we think like, oh man, church culture, if we could nail that, man, if, if, if sin, if people could, if, if those people, other people could just repent of their sins, things would go so great here. Everybody else would kinda get their act together, that would be awesome. Wouldn't it be great if everyone did this? No, we're gonna start with ourselves. Next verses, verses five through 10, chapter 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Would you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed fail to meet the test? I hope you'll find out that we've not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may do, uh, not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me, here it is again, for building up and not for tearing down. (laughs) So as we come to this final exam, as you will, at the end of Second Corinthians, maybe some of you are walking in today. and you're like, I didn't know there was a test today. I didn't study for the quiz. I didn't study for this. and you, you, start, you start to roll in and you're like, mean, you hear those words examine, you hear those words test. You start to feel that weight again. You start to feel that burden again. See, this, this church was in conflict and, and there was individuals who didn't want to repent and conflicts are crossroads. Conflicts are crossroads. Will there be unity? or there be division. Will those in sin face rebuke? Stop walking in that direction. It doesn't lead to light, or will, will they be welcomed back in restoration? See, those are the crossroads. And so while we're so quick to judge others, it's these moments, it's these conflict moments, these crossroad moments, these examination moments where we need to not look outward, but we need to look inward and examine ourselves. We love looking outward so great to blame shift. so great to, especially when we're in conflict or we see others walking in sin, to look at them rather than ourselves. And, and, but the reality is we, have, we can barely control ourselves, right? So us focusing on others, man, let the Holy Spirit sort that out. Let God do the work in their heart. You focus on yourself. When you're in conflict, I want to be clear, there, there are times where you're just a victim of abuse. So much of conflict, so much of broken relationships or lack of joy and endurance is that there's multiple parties bringing some sin to the table, right? We talk about, you know, the nasty casserole brought to the potluck. I mean, I think we're like going to get to have potlucks soon, right? Yeah. Potlucks. Love it. Don't bring a sin casserole to the potluck, okay? Simple way to do that, just don't put raisins in anything. Okay? No, we don't like to look at ourselves, and yet you know, Jesus is like, hey, you know, look at the, the log in your own eye before you start worrying about everybody else's speck in their own eye, right? And so what does this examination look like, right? What are we supposed to be assessing? And uh, I mean, like, like, yeah, go ahead and like look at your life, look at actions and attitudes. That, that's fine. Right? There's things in your life that need to change. Like that, that's okay. But that's not what he's talking about here, the, the essential to endurance is not only examining what you do, but whose you are. Where do you dwell? Where is your hope placed? And so he says you get to ask yourself, what's the test? Ask yourself if you're what? In the faith. In the faith equals in Christ. That your identity, that your hope, that your savior and your king is found in Christ. And so while The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the core truth of the gospel. Having an identity in Christ is an essential outworking of the gospel in our individual and collective lives. And so this is this is challenging, right? Because sin has separated us from God. When we're in Christ, we are restored, we're renewed, we have a union with God. Um, the Bible elsewhere describes it as Christ in you and you in Christ. You can read the whole letters of First um, John, right, where he just talks about abiding in Christ, having your life in Christ's life. And so it's a union that is life-producing. And so I want to be clear, there are times where we individually and even collectively go through seasons of doubt, periods of relapse, stagnant growth, just plain spiritual dryness. And and we start to get that sense of like, I mean, am I really saved? Or, man, I grew a lot during this season. I felt really close to the Lord during this trial. Is he farther away? And then like, did I just level up there and like, this is it? And we begin to believe a lie from the enemy. That when you go through seasons of doubt, that when you go through spiritual dryness, that somehow God no longer favors you or that your salvation isn't as real as you once believed and we get discouraged and so we need this reminder that Paul gives the the Christians in the Corinthian church. He's like, don't you realize Christ is in you? The only test that matters is not that you've passed the test, but that your faith is in Jesus who passed the test for you. That's the good news of the gospel. That you showed up with a scantron. Remember scantrons? None of you kids got to do scantrons this year. Well, back in the day, you get a scantron. You didn't know what to do on the test? B, all the way down, right? Or let me write something fun on the scantron. You walked in with that scantron to your final exam, the one that's going to decide whether you get to go to UW or your fallback school, which everyone knows is wazoo, right? And you go in, it's high pressure. And you walk in with your failed Scantron. And there's Jesus, perfect test for you. 1600 on the SAT, full ride. Never have to set foot in Pullman again. That's the applied work of Christ's righteousness to your life. He's saying, look at yourself. You've already failed. But is your faith in the Christ who succeeded for you? Is your identity your own? Or is it in Christ who loves you and knows you? And so everything he said about repentance, everything he said about sexual morality, about church culture, about giving, about, about communion, about any of the things he's hitting, he doesn't say "Hey, clean yourself up so you can pass. He's saying you've already gotten the successful test given to you. You've already gotten the reward. You are a free person. For some of us this week, we maybe heard for the first time about uh, a holiday that's been celebrated uh, in in our country for about 160 some odd years called Juneteenth. Anybody know what Juneteenth is? Yeah. Um, I might get this wrong, it's not great at history, but Abraham Lincoln in uh, 1863 uh, puts out the Emancipation Proclamation, right? We fought a civil war to free people from slavery. And, And There was, down at the island of Galveston, Texas, which I was at when I was traveling for marketing, it's very far away, Um, this isolated island in the the state of Texas that had the most Confederate soldiers, Um, even though the war had ended for a while, right? Nobody's tweeting out, emancipation day. No, it was reliant on good faith people sharing the good news, that you're a free person now. And just because the Civil War was won, it wasn't like the next day everybody's like, cool, I don't believe in slavery anymore. And so actually Union soldiers had to go down to Galveston, go down to Texas to apply the work that had already been done to free people. And so it was June 19th, 1865, almost two years later, that those slaves in Galveston heard for the first time, you're free. You're not a slave anymore, in fact, you have been free for almost two years. This is what Paul's doing to the Corinthian church. Hey Corinthian church, y'all been free for a couple years. Why are you acting like slaves? Like, wouldn't it have been crazy if, if the, the, the slaves in Galveston just were like, I don't know, I'll just stay in slavery for a few more years, this is great. No, it's terrible, it's bad, it's evil, it's wicked. And in the gospel, Jesus has shown up and says, you're free. And Paul is a good, loving pastor. says, you as a church culture, you individually, in your sin, quit acting like you forgot to hear it's Juneteenth. Quit acting like you don't have freedom. You've been made new. So let go of those chains. Start walking and enduring unhindered. Start living the new life and celebrating what's been done for you. I hate to break it to you, those slaves in Galveston didn't win the Civil War. It was done for them. Our freedom wasn't done by us. You will not achieve freedom on your own. Victory's been won for you in Christ. Paul just wants them to know what's true. He just wants them to know what's true. So where you failed, we get to rest in the finished work of Christ for us. That is how the gospel helps us endure. All right, guys, last verses here in Second Corinthians, finishing this awesome letter. I I've, I've really enjoyed getting to be in this letter this this fall, or uh, this uh, winter rather. We're gonna be in we're gonna be in Psalms over the summer and Ecclesiastes in the fall. So good things are coming. All right, verses eleven through fourteen his last words to this church. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When we say something like endurance, it just sounds like it's going to be hard, but we're going to make it. But there can be joy and comfort in the midst of endurance. And that's what he's calling this church to. That's what I believe we're called to. In all circumstances, we can rejoice in God's goodness. We can care for one another. We can enjoy life with God and his people. And as we seek to endure, we can look at this list in these last verses. He says, aim for restoration. It doesn't say always restore. There are some situations where your choices are between not good and bad, but bad and worse. There are times where we desire restoration for someone else, but we don't get to achieve it for them. So we aim for restoration. It doesn't say always restore, but our aim should be wanting others to endure well. We should want others to repent. We should want others to experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, comfort one another. We all have enough discomfort. The world's disunified enough as it is. The world is broken and frustrating. We need to be here for each other in real, and tangible ways. That's what's been so beautiful about this last season, right, is people have had cancer diagnoses or babies are being born, right? People are bringing meals to one another. I love seeing that. You need to be in a place. One of the questions you could ask, you wanna examine yourself, am I in the faith? Do you have a relationship with the Lord that's your own? And do you have a relationship with God's people where you're known? The way you comfort one another, like we, we keep gathering. We keep showing up. We get to know one another. We engage in one another's lives in real and tangible ways. That's an outworking of the gospel that you're brought into a family, not just theologically, but like practically and tangibly. Right? We've got people here in this family, they're gonna go and bless other churches as they go move to other parts of the state. Some of you have come in from other parts of the state or from other states and have come and been part of this body. Like, like that's the way we come comfort one another and get to know one another as we come into new communities. He says, agree with one another. Wouldn't we like to see an asterisk on that one? You mean like if they get it right, right? You mean like if they, if they, if they understand my perspective. It just says agree with one another. Unity brings joy. And, and, and unity, just to have unity, like, like just to say, hey, we're unified, Like that's really kind of worthless. But we're unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means that even in secondary issues, even ones that are very significant to you, that we can even agree to disagree and still be unified as we keep the main thing, the main thing, the truth of Jesus is and what he's done for us. And he says, live in peace, wholeness, lack of conflict. These are markings of the fact that God is at present in work in individuals and in churches. And so the love and peace that we feel we have with our relationship for God, it's gonna impact our earthly relationships with one another. If you are secure in your identity in Christ, if you're communing with the Lord through prayer, through his word, through just, just seeing his work in uh, the world, then you're in a much better place to be able to have healthy Horizontal relationships with other Christians, even if they're difficult. And hint, we're all difficult. You're difficult sometimes. I'm difficult, like all the time. And we endure with one another. And, and we gather and we greet one another with genuine affection. We'll just we'll go with genuine affection instead of holy kiss, right? Like I said, pre COVID, I was like, no. But genuine affection. Um, Our church network, the the pastors and wives um, in Acts 29 got together uh, this last week for a retreat that was about 18 months overdue, right? And just the genuine affection of those leaders, of those pastors and their their wives getting together and enjoying one another was such a joy. For this past year, us being able to gather here in this place, in this space, has just been such a joy. And, And when he says, hey, all the saints greet you. What he's he's saying there in verse 13 is like, hey, the rest of the church is rooting for you guys. Guys, there's a lot of amazing things. Um, uh, One of the things I just felt compelled to share with you guys, um, last year in Acts 29, our little church network, 24 churches were planted last year during COVID, during lockdowns. Like the gospel keeps going. The church will endure. Not because we're going to finally get it right. Not because we're going to dial in the culture and individually repent. No, the church is going to endure because of the character and nature of God. And that brings us to the last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We're going to endure because of our Trinitarian God, three in one, who doesn't wait for us to achieve and come into his family, but brings us in to this holy family with the courage to endure only because of the gospel were brought in by the grace and mercy of God alone. In commenting on this verse, Dane Ortland, I think, just nailed it right here in this quote. He says, God the Father planned salvation. God the Son accomplished salvation. And God the Holy Spirit applies salvation. Grace in eternity passed from the Father Grace at the climax of human history from the sun, right, that's the cross, and grace in our own present time and space from the Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you are a loved person. We are a loved people. And we will endure because of the Holy Spirit. We'll endure with humility because we know how weak and dependent we are. We'll endure joyfully because we know how loved we are and will endure courageously no matter what happens out in the world because we know our strength is found not in our strength, but in our weakness. That actually being in a place of doubt or despair, actually being in a place of humility leads us to greater reliance on Jesus Christ. We're not dependent on how we endure, but on the God who's big and powerful and loving, that perfect endurance has already been done for us in Christ's life, death, and resurrection on the cross. And so we will, we will endure as we continue to simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.